Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Leanne Bach with M Realty. Keep your finger on the pulse of Portland's hot real estate market. Call Leanne for unparalleled customer service and the highest level of marketing available. Make sure your position in the marketplace doesn't leave money on the table by visiting leannebach.com or call Leanne direct at 503-349-7890. And by Chew Dining Club. Chew gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Just download the app right now and check in at participating establishments. Get the rewards you want, like free pizzas, drinks, extended happy hour deals, and more. Plus exclusive information about fun food events and invites too. Chew. We are back at it. It's right at the fork, Portland's food scene podcast with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com and find out about some upcoming food events. Do we have some on there? Uh, yeah, we have two coming up. Solo Club, August 2nd, opening, Dustin Clark, great chef. Um, there's still some room and Cafe Castagna. Oh, nice. With We had... Uh, Justin Woodward yeah. on the podcast, mm-hmm. and that's a really good one. That was actually one of our highest-rated podcasts with right. Justin. And um, so we're hoping that as many people want to eat his food as listen to what he had to say. Absolutely. Um, so that's in late August. So check that out, too. Thank you for asking. Yeah, PortlandFoodAdventures.com is the website. I'm Court Johnson from uh, Kink Mornings. He's been here for a long time. Yeah, no, we're going on uh, too many hours, <laughs> and uh, we're, we've been talking about food. Uh, but th- today's uh, episode... it. To me, is one of one of my favorite, uh, just because Lisa Schroeder is she's a she's a powerhouse, and like she's got a personality that if you, if you've talked to her ever, you can feel it. But like today, especially the, I, to me, this was a very I don't want to call it a very powerful episode, but it was to me. Dude, I cried. Yeah, a couple no, of times. it was it it was, and, and we, we talk about it, and it, it, I don't I don't know what to to say about it. Yeah. No, Other than I, it's, it was powerful. I think it speaks for itself, and I think we really appreciate. You know, when I when I initially we initially asked Lisa to come on a few months ago. Yeah. And uh, tragic events happened, um, which obviously uh, we we couldn't make that happen. And so I sat back, and then recently we had an opening, and I asked Lisa, and I was, and she was wrote and said she's honored to come on. Yeah. I didn't necessarily know if it was too early for her to discuss after um, the death of her daughter. Um, but uh, she is uh, very, if there's anybody who speaks their mind, mm-hmm. it's the one thing that Portland has a bad rap for is people who are kind of passive and, and uh, you would not put her on that list. No, she would not put her on that list. Nope. And I, and I just, uh, I adore her. She's a part of my um, reason for being in Portland. I know that, and um, played a big part in uh, my discovering this food scene and enjoying it. And uh, Mother's Bistro is a restaurant everybody should try at some point, and hope that Lisa will be there. Uh, although she's not out in the front of the house much, but yeah. we're we're happy to give people the opportunity to hear what Lisa has to say, how she thinks, and uh, what she what she's made of. She's just, uh, it was an honor to have her here. I can't even say much more. Uh, Lisa Schroeder from Mother's Bistro. Mm-hmm.
<laughs> Never mind. I'm talking kitchen speak. I mean, I talk like a fucking truck driver. I mean, what can you do? <laughs> and, you know, you don't mince words. You I may don't. You may mince garlic and you may mince something else. But I don't mince words. I don't know if that's because I'm in the kitchen or because I'm an ex-New Yorker or what. But I think it's a little of both. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, well, it's all in your personality. But that is one of the... Um, I was just saying that we, I spent a little time this morning with an interview we did in About Face, which I'm going to suggest everybody go back and read because I really love that interview. It was actually the last one I did. For the oh, magazine. really? Yeah. And um, I thought it was great. It was an opportunity to sit down with you. You and I had chatted. This is, and we've had a few opportunities since, but um, thank you so much for coming in. Well, I'm honored. And a question. Did we do? Did you also do a uh, voice recording of that interview? Did, and did it get published anywhere? Or you just, know, uh, just... I, I record it because I have to edit. I had to edit things down. So right. you said a lot. And I that's did. one. I'll tell you what. That's one of the reasons I love this podcast, because you're going to get all 10 <laughs> to 15,000 words of yours right. unedited. Great. So we can repeat stuff because people will not have heard it. We're right, but I'm gonna. That's fine. But there, we can go talk <laughs> about some different things. Uh, but I suggest people read it. It's a really good interview. We talk, we talk about your past, uh, your mom, which I think is really interesting. Um, and I thought that at the time um, that here's this woman who started Mother's Bistro, and her mother may have been a great cook, but your your mom, mother daughter <laughs> relationship was not one that you would think would be representative of someone who starts a a big restaurant called Mother's. Exactly. And actually, when I was going to name my restaurant Mothers, I don't know if I told you, but my sister said, really? You're going to name the restaurant Mothers? Some people have an issue with their mother and they may not want to come. And I'm like, oh, well, that tells a lot. (laughs) Where was she coming from? Right. Well, I want to be the mother that everybody wished they had. Right. Right. Or at least wish she cooked like that. Yeah, I view you as and I think I, I posted this a couple of months ago. I really think you are. You, someone, the mayor, somebody should name you Portland's honorary mother. Aww. For life, forever. I, I there was a day named stuff. after me. And there was Lisa Schroeder Day on when we celebrated our 11th anniversary because I was too busy to celebrate our 10th. So we had our 11th anniversary on one. That's the way to do it right there. <laughs> yeah. One, 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 one. Yeah. And Sam Adams did say it was Lisa Schroeder Day. Now, I don't know if that's in the books anywhere. Did you get a that... proclamation or a key to the city? I did not get a key. Mm. No, 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 no. So I'm that gonna, doesn't count. I'm going to go on record as saying the next mayor, right? Because we're not going to hold <laughs> mayor any Wheeler. hearings now. It's right? Mayor Wheeler. <laughs> no ne- hearings now for Hales. He's, he can't do anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm only saying that. I'm only <laughs> referencing the Supreme Court thing. I right. No, no. I'm not making political commentary. Are we on air yet? Mayor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, whoa. And it's We're on the air. It's I know, not... yeah, yeah, I know. How long is the actual interview? How long is the podcast? Are you going to be here for six hours? <laughs> <laughs> no. Usually how long do you go? An hour. We're okay, about an cool. hour. Um, and I and I and I give you a waiver for not having listened to it because I know you are the busiest <sighs> human in, on the planet. And now even more so. Yes, yes. Now even more so, which ble- leads me to say that the one of the... Bef- a year ago, I thought you should be Portland's honorary mother. But Thank now, you. especially, this city has come out, uh, and I see it on social media, and in support of the hell you've been through over the past few months in a very, from what I can see, I'm not seeing it from your standpoint, but uh, in a very special way. And I think everybody views you as, you know, someone who's the hard- hardest working woman in show business. And certainly my heart, Court's heart, everybody's heart goes out to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, 
for the tragedy that happened. Um, I don't know. I was, uh, yeah, there might be people who don't know what happened. So my daughter was out hiking with all of her four children, her significant other, and a family friend, and they were hiking at Horsetail Falls. And um, the older children had already gone down the the hill, and her and Jason, the uh, significant other, had had the children on their shoulders, and they had just the twins who were four years old, and they had just taken the twins off their shoulders and put them down on the ground. And um, one of my twin grandsons had gone close to the edge, but not to the edge, and the ground under him started to crumble. And he started to go down, and my daughter, with the motherly instinct, just went after him. And uh, he started to go down uh, the cliff, and she could do nothing but save him. She just couldn't help herself. And uh, he survived the 60-foot fall, and thank God, without a broken bone. Um, And my daughter did not, and she died there at the falls. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, uh, And so in light of that, I'm especially, we were actually scheduled to do this podcast right before that. Or right. right, actually, it was, Around we scheduled it, it was going to be right after that. So um, I really appreciate your coming in to share that. And we talked on the phone the other day, and uh, you were extremely crazy. There are a lot of, lot of things going on in the Portland food world that have made you crazy in terms of how to run a restaurant. And, uh, and now... It's even that much more difficult for you because you have, you didn't, you have more responsibility. This is true, but I don't know what you mean. What did, what was making me crazy about the food world? I'm not sure. I well, understood. well, it's hard. We talk. Uh, it's a challenging world out there. I see posts where you're looking for cooks. Oh, that. Yeah, that. Oh, that's that. what I'm referring well, to. Well, I think that's actually nationally. I mean, there isn't a restaurant today that isn't hard put to find employees. And I think particularly here in Portland, Oregon, um, maybe there was a time we'd had a trove of cooks, maybe when uh, the Cordon Bleu was still here, um, but and it brought some cooks here to town. But now without that, and um, this is still a place where young people come to retire, and it's very, very hard to find people that want to work hard in a kitchen. Even more so, Even more difficult than five years ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a time you'd put an ad on Craigslist and get 20 responses. And now um, I'm trying to figure out what's the best day to post on Craigslist. And then I don't stop there. I mean, I didn't I really wasn't a big proponent of poached mainly because I found the platform so hard to navigate. And as a um, employer, you have to download the app, their resume. You can't just print and print it out. So I was really reticent and I hadn't used it um uh, heretofore, but now since uh, the difficulty in hiring, I'm I'm grasping at everything. I'm asking people who know people. I'm using social media. I'm putting my ads on Facebook. It is absolutely impossible to find good cooks in this town who you don't already have. I do a lot to keep the ones I do have. And I bet you you are training in in a very important and uh, rigorous way. Chefs for other restaurants. I, I think it was I think it was Brian Spangler who mentioned yes. to me that he <laughs> he loves the Mother's Bistro chefs 
because they come out, they've been to boot camp. Yeah, he he actually, so many of my servers work for him as well because he gets wonderfully trained people that kind of, they just take it on. He loves my employees. So, um, yes, people, and I tell people who work for me, I mean, man, you can make it at Mother's, you can make it anywhere. It, re- it really, like they say about New York, it's the same Mothers is so hard. It's a beast. We do so many covers. We work so hard. So I do spend most of the interview trying to convince people not to work for me. Mm. I really do because I want to make, make it through that. Then yes, yeah. I want to scare them. I want them to say, "Ooh, I don't want." Gosh, nine hundred people. Oh my, sweating like a pig, running back and forth. I mean, that's how I describe it. And uh, and if they still want to come after that, then. Then they uh, and they can get through the working interview. Then they're hired. And then when they get through that, the kitchen is not a very calm place when you're doing that many covers. And uh, as you said to me, it's not for the faint of heart. It is not. I mean, yesterday we did a thousand seven between eight and two thirty, and quite frankly, it didn't really hit until nine. So that was really a thousand covers between nine and two thirty. And I, um, I'm still in the back. I still expedite. Uh, you know, here are my arms. I don't need tattoos. I've got I've got plenty of burn tattoos all over my arms, and uh, I still have to do it because it is impossible to find the talent that can expedite a brunch of a thousand people in six hours. So, given that it's impossible, how do you accomplish the impossible? You just did it yesterday, and you, and more importantly, how do you operate? Because I I get stressed out at the the probably. On a scale of 1 to 100, you're probably <laughs> dealing with 99 every day. When I get something that's like a 5, I'm worried about it and email people. So <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with it every day? Well, first of all, when my daughter died, one of my friends said to me, wow, you're really good at compartmentalization. And I had to look up what compartmentalization meant. And that's where you put different things in different sections of your brain. Well, one thing I've been able to manage over the last 16 years is to compartmentalize so that, okay, now I'm in my morning mode and I'm going to cry right now. And that's how I spend my mornings. And then now I'm in the restaurant mode. Now I'm the grandmother. And so I have all these different roles where I have to be, you know, I got to be chipper for my grandkids and happy and shiny and life is great. And uh, then I got to fight the battle, the war that is feeding that many people in a shift. So a, how do we do it? One, I'm the expediter on Sundays. I'm the back expediter. What happens if something happens to you on a Sunday? It just can't happen. Well, you know what the thing is, and I realize the solution is, and I say to myself, oh, my God, I've built this beast. Who can manage this beast? How can this go on? How can this continue to thrive? And, the yes, we're, we're really putting up a lot of plates in the air and keeping them spinning. Probably the one way I could do it is just slow down. Everything we do at Mother's, we do with a sense of urgency. If somebody's at the door, we get them in a chair right away. If somebody needs something, we run to the kitchen to get it for them. Everything we do at Mother's, we run. So many other places you go to, they saunter to get mm-hmm. up to the host stand. Especially in Portland. They saunter to take you to a table. They deem the sachet over <laughs> to your table. Oh, my God. The, that doesn't work at Mother's. Everything we do, we do with the guest in mind that they shouldn't have to wait an extra second for anything. Now, that's just my weirdness. I realize. And you, and you can't stand people waiting in line, yet you have no choice. So you, your heart goes out to them. Absolutely. It isn't about more money. It's about, oh, my God, I can't keep them waiting an extra minute. So I realize the solution is, you know, if and when something happens to me or whatever, we'll just slow down the pace. We'll, we'll go to restaurant. We'll go to Portland speed. 
and everybody's used to that. Everything we do at Mother's is more New York-y speed. We, we could tone it down and do a few less covers and breathe a few more breaths and be able to do it. We'll just feed a few less people. It, it would slow down quite a bit to go from where you are to that. <laughs> Have you been to a deli here uh, compared to New York in terms of if you want if you want to order some pastrami or roast beef, how long it takes to get that meat on the scale and to you? I Everything <laughs> here takes more time. Literally, I... You know, even going to the supermarket, the guy at the checkout counter asked me if I found everything okay. Every time. If I, why would I be at the checkout counter if I didn't find everything okay? Wouldn't I be still in the aisle? Yeah, next time, be like, no, actually, I got 20 things yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Could you what find are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And in fact, one time that happened as I approached the checkout counter, I was looking for kasha. Kasha is buckwheat groats. And I knew to look in the kosher section, but there was no kosher section. I'm at Safeway, of course. That's Wonder Bread. And this little blonde-haired kid said to me, hi, you finding everything okay? And I said, well, do you have kasha? And he looked at me and he goes, kasha? I said, well, do you have a kosher section? Kosher? And with that, I said, okay. And why just ask the question? Well, how did I know he didn't no, know? No, I don't mean you. Oh, why did he ask yeah. the question? Right, right. True that. I mean, I don't get that question. So everything is slower in Portland. And um, now that I'm even busier than a one-armed paper hanger, I don't even have the time to to wait for somebody to like to just say their sentence. You know, I got to keep moving. So people think I'm short, I'm abrupt, and, you know, if only they knew what I'm dealing with, but they don't, and so they just think I'm a nasty New Yorker. I don't think so. I, I, <laughs> I don't think that from the from the moment I met you, and I'm from the East Coast too. So well, that's why we, you can stand me, right? I can I can stand <laughs> you, but um, but no, I just I think people know that you're. Well, I guess there are people who aren't conscious when they walk into mothers. How many people are there, and what it takes to to do that every day? They are not. They are not. So do you, you mentioned slowing down as a possibility. Um, do you, have you ever thought, you know, I think I need to do this now. I mean, you've well, got, you, you're raising your grandkids. Well, uh, I thought uh, before this all happened that I could start to slow down and maybe I could take a trip or two and, and be able to get away. When was the last time you took a trip? I went to Palm Springs just before this happened. I was supposed to go to New Orleans Jazz Fest because I'm a Louisiana wannabe and I've been there many times. And I broke the heel. I broke a bone spur in my heel the week before trying to save my other twin grandson who was in the water and he was going under. So I jumped in the pool heel first and broke my heel. And so I had to cancel my trip to New Orleans and I, I, I went to Palm Springs instead. So I had booked these set aside the time, but I went somewhere else instead. And now you can't. And it, it reminds me. I'm sorry, I had a smile on my yeah. face while you were telling the story of breaking your heel. Yeah. But you had quite an adventure getting to Burning Man last year, or was it the year before? Well, I am a Burning That will be my next trip, Burning Man, and I'm right. probably going to go alone. Um, I use it for my one week to unplug and reflect and contemplate and try but, to understand things. And yes, every it's always a drama. There's always something. The RV, you were, the, your RV just... Right? I, yep. had, I had this RV that I bought <laughs> four years ago when I was heading to Burning Man. What happened four years ago, or five years ago, we borrowed somebody's RV and it died en route. Oh, that and was I would, maybe and, the one I was thinking. No, no, no. And no. I was hell-bent on going and whatever, and so I bought an RV on the fly. In Bend. <laughs> I'm going to buy an Albert Brooks movie. Yeah, so I bought a 35-foot RV <laughs> on the fly in Bend, <laughs> filled it with the other RV stuff, and then and then... 
Um, so, and we went. Okay, four years. Then <laughs> fa- four years, my husband refused to go. I am not going. He didn't want to deal with the, any issues. I am not going to Burning Man. It was just too much for him. Well, this last year, we were on our way to Burning Man in the RVI I bought four years prior, and we made it all the way down to Lakeview, and the axle dropped out in Lakeview, Ooh. and uh, there we were, no way to get to Burning Man. Well, me, again, I'm hell-bent on going, and uh, the guy... <laughs> And the people who had supposedly made that RV roadworthy uh, were nice enough to lend me a trailer and another way to get down. Sean Levy, who used to write for the Oregonian and now is a big Timbers fan, um, was posting on Facebook, I really want to go to Burning Man. Does anybody have a ticket? And Rob is saying the whole time, I don't want to go. This is ridiculous. I don't want to go through Hell and High Water to get to Burning Man. I don't really want to go. So I texted Sean and said, you want Rob's ticket? He drove down my husband's uh, car. The people who supposedly fixed my RV brought down a loner. And me and Sean Levy went to Burning Man and Rob headed home. <laughs> that is, that, but that's the antithesis of why you're going to Burning Man. The process of getting there is the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. You are so you right. There. there is nothing relaxing about it. It's You unplug. But what it is is it's just a place where people bring it they bring their art they bring their joy they bring love and there it's just a place that i find that in the middle of all this i look for signs and information and ways to grow and i always seem to do it and many a few years ago back uh, there was a i had an, a real epiphany there that changed the course of how things were going in one part of my life and uh, i just Hope it'll help me deal with the sorrow of losing my daughter somehow. Can you share that epiphany that changed your... That yeah, changed? actually, I think uh, my uh, my daughter and I had been estranged for a couple years. Uh, she had gone down um, a drug hole, and uh, uh, it was a really tough time for us, and we weren't talking. And um, I went to burn it. My, she had just given birth to my twin grandsons four years ago. And at the time, we weren't speaking, and I went to Burning Man, and I kind of went there with the question, where do I go? Am I going to let my grandchildren be raised without knowing me, or am I going to stay estranged? What's the answer? Do Do I try to rekindle it? Is she off it? Is she back to normal? Where are we? What do I do? And I went to Burning Man with that question in mind, and as I'm walking around the playa, which is what they call the big open lake bed, There was this huge 20-foot statue in gold made up of dolls, every doll in every little section, and the entire thing said ego, Mm. E-G-O. And I looked at it. It was really moving. And at the end of the week, they burned it. And I happened to walk by just when they were burning that ego statue. And that, to me, was the message to let go of my ego and whatever issues I might have had. And to open my heart to be there for my grand twins, no matter what is between my daughter and I. And when I got back, I we, there was a birthday party for her significant other. And I, I was invited and I decided to show whether my daughter would be there or not. And that was the beginning of the rekindling of our mother-daughter love and relationship. And we had been close ever since. Wow. And you, you know, going back to when she was born, you went through hell and high water in New York working to support her. And as I recall, you were, you know, you were in the red. And that's not easy when you're a single parent. You were in the red doing that. I, um, 
Well, my first husband, we were together for, we were together, her father, we were together for uh, six years, but um, he was abusive and um, it was a very rough six years. And finally, I ended it after being hit for one last time. I wasn't going to take it anymore. And yes, always taking care of Stephanie was on me. The father wasn't really involved, though he was in the house. He was a sociopathic whatever. And so... I raised my daughter on my own ostensibly and then was financially responsible for raising her her whole life. Mm. And and then you had challenges just coming out to Portland. As as uh, as I recall, you had this vision for mothers way back at the Culinary Institute. Right. In 1992, I was, going, I was working at Weight Watchers International when I had an epiphany. There's places to get Chinese food, Mexican food, pizza, whatever, but where in the world do you get mother food? There was no place to get mother food in 92, and that's I decided then that that's what the world needed, a place that served mothers cooking, and the next eight years were spent working toward that. And no one in Portland knew that you were going to bring this gift to them of this wonderful place. I hope this- they think it's a gift. Oh, where everybody's standing on, I, I, put, I don't want to portray Mother's as a place with people standing online, but everybody in the restaurant, when it's, there's all that energy in there, it's a gift. It's a, it's, a, it's a gift whenever anyone's in there. Well, that makes me very happy, and that's what I live for. I mean, it's very rewarding. Uh, that is my reason for being. It really is. And uh, I think hats off goes to Rob, who was- Puts up re- with me? <laughs> Well, that, that, and, um, but also he's the reason you came to Portland, correct? Yep. I met, well, I always knew that I'd open up mothers in a city other than New York. I just didn't know what the city was. You know, you're reading all the restaurant magazines. Oh, Alabama's the next dip place. Why other than New York? Because New York doesn't need me. New York City doesn't need me. Not to mention that everything is a battle in New York. I mean, if you think running a restaurant is hard, try to get a delivery in New York City. Mm. Oh, forget about it. So I just knew I didn't, mothers did not need to be in New York. And then when I met Rob, it was crystal clear. I came out to Portland. I was like, oh, here it is. This is where I belong. And uh, how did you meet Rob? How did you two meet? We, had a, I have a, we have a mutual friend, Geraldine Tabor, who was working at Les Panas uh, in New York when I was there. And uh, she had moved to New York with her boyfriend, who was an artist at the time, and uh, she went off and married someone else, and I went off and worked at Le Cirque and other places. And then Rob was coming to town to visit her. He was a friend of hers and this ex-boyfriend of hers. And she wanted me to meet her ex-boyfriend, who was an artist living in New York, and she thought he and I would be a good pair. Well, I'd already been married to an artist. I didn't need another artist for a significant <laughs> other. Enough about me. What do you think about me? But Rob happened to have been there, and I met Rob, and he was more interested in, hey, tell me about you, and na, na, na. And we started this long-distance relationship back in December of uh, 1996. We're celebrating our 20th year. Wow. And you just got, you just tied the knot a couple of years ago yep, now? two years ago after 18 years together. So, yeah, what caused you after 18 years to say, okay, now's the, now's the time to do it? Um, I was leaving the decision to get married up to Rob. I had already been married twice, and he had never been married. So I figured the ball's in his court. So I was just waiting for him to come along. And he had already 18 years, my friend, if Rob, I'm sure Rob is going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Buddy. I know. Well, you know, he was, uh, he was 60 and had never been married. I don't know. For some people, they find it hard to commit, and Rob, uh, <laughs> Rob was one of them. But uh, finally, something we everybody has asked Rob, okay, so what made you finally propose? What was it? And I think I owe it all to my cat, Skippy. Um, Our cat, Skippy, had passed away, and Skippy was like his baby. Um, And Skippy passed away suddenly, and Rob said that he had never seen that empathetic side of me. 
uh, that showed well, him the love and caring when his cat more, died. He was looking for one more element. One more affirmation that I was <laughs> the right one. And thanks to Skippy and my compassion, I proved it. And did did you play a game with him at all? Say, ah, let me think about that for another 18 years. Are you kidding? If they're 18 years, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and he proposed to me, actually, I was having a 60th birthday party for him at my restaurant. Um, and we were planning the party. He kept on wanting all these people to come. And I'm like, why? Since when do you want all these people? And so he just kept on inviting and inviting. And he proposed to me in front of everybody there. So there was no turning back. There's... And plus, I was so ecstatic. What, 18 years? I thought... The Messiah came. And did the Messiah <laughs> come? How, how has, has anything changed since you signed those pieces of paper? For me, no. I was totally committed no matter what. Um, maybe, I think for him, because he had never been married. So for him, we stand, I still can't remember to call him my husband. Like for 18 years, all you say, my significant other, you're this multisyllabic description of your partner. And so now I just have to, like, it's like writing with your right hand when you're a lefty. Every time I go to refer to him, I have to remember, oh, he's my husband. So we're getting used to that part. It might take 18 years for you to actually get to so, that point. I should live so long. <laughs> <laughs> they, say, they say it takes you um, as long to get over a relationship as you were in it. So maybe it'll just take you that long to remember to, to say it. So um, you, it has been anything but, a, um, but an easy walk through the park for you with life it has not been a walk through the park i've had a very very rough life and you know somebody i I jokingly say you talk about baggage i got louis vuitton for baggage um i have so much baggage but um i guess what doesn't kill you makes you stronger you can't have the yin without the yang you can't appreciate the gifts you're given without having some taken away um I, I always see my gla- glasses half full, even with the death of my daughter, and I'm looking at the beautiful nature around me. I say, thank you, God, for that. So, so many people just feel so pitiful and feel so sorry for themselves, and a hangnail is, is a big deal. And, um, my God, if, if everything was a big deal to me, I wouldn't be able to be where I am. There's just no way. Well, I think, to me, it's, you're incredible. I remember when I got divorced, right, so it was a it was, you know, a heartbreaking thing, thinking it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, ever, ever, ever. And then you get divorced and you realize, oh, there are a lot of people dealing with a lot more, a lot more. You you know, I was living this happy-go-lucky life, and then all of a sudden you're in this, you're meeting people who are dealing with adversity. And it's the first time that it teaches you to go through that and um, have a little perspective and appreciate the things that you do have. And then, in hindsight, as you go on, you know, I think your pain is, you can't say it's ever going to go away. It's always going to be there. And I remember at the, um, looking at the kitchen table, at the empty chair, that took a, for me, it was different, took a long time to go away, but it's painful. So you had said you're trying to have joy with your grandkids. How do you, and you need to compartmentalize, but you have to be in those moments when you're, they're just reminding you of their mother that's got to be well yes I mean thank God for them to carry on her memory and that she can carry on her legacy that's beautiful um they're the little ones are now like I have pictures of Stephanie around and there's one of the twins Ollie the one who fell has grabbed a picture and held her picture close to his heart and said I miss mommy and we're just working through this. You know, we're going to grief counselors and 
working through it and just trying to be strong. I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh... It's okay. <laughs> it comes and goes. And with grief, you got to just let it go. You know, I'm not, you know me, I'm an open book, Chris. So, you know, I have the moments and I just go with it and I can't stop it. And we just carry on and just, uh, I'll put that in my compartment for a minute and I'll carry on. I want to learn from you because I'm not a good compartment. <laughs> I've noticed sometimes when I can compartmentalize and I pat myself on the back for, wow, that's that's the important ingredient to get through. And right. I, I'm sorry if I brought, no, no. If, I, if I prompted that. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> You'll get the Diane Sawyer Award or whatever her I'm, name was. Cor- Cor- I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just, I'm curious to know if you think this, this ability to comp- compartmentalize uh, came from, you know, what you do at Mothers, or if you, you being able to do that allows you to do what you do at, at Mothers so well. Did it's the 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 chicken and egg thing, but which which contributes to what? That is a really brilliant question, and like you said, the chicken and the egg thing, it goes back and forth. You know, for many years, sixteen years I'm at Mothers. Sixteen years. Some days you come in and you are at war. You have to. You have to fire it. Everything coming to you. Walking is down. Buster didn't show up. Cook is late. This is that. Yeah. And you come in and you're like, if you freak out about every single thing, you cannot carry on. It can't, it can't thrive. It can't survive. So you literally just learn how to, I don't know, like the, the ducks that you have to shoot at. You just learn to shoot at each one, handle that one. Now go to the next one. And I read this book called... Um, Every day Zen, and one of, when I was still in cooking school, and one of the things it talks about and the most important lesson there is to live on the razor's edge. That is that there's no yesterday and there is no tomorrow. There is only the now. And so at Mother's, every in my life, everything is triage. Everything is an emergency. And so what I have to do is say, okay, what do I have to do right now? If I think about all the things I have to do, I literally would implode. You know, people who are worriers, oh, my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? I never think about what ifs unless I have to have a contingency plan to be able to, you know, work through something. But otherwise, it's being in the moment, dealing with the issue at the moment, and then going to the next moment. It's interesting. You, you describe what you do as, as triage, but everybody I talk to that, that goes to when they have the mother's experience, it's triage would not be the way you describe no. the experience. Well, and which is <laughs> which is great. It means you're doing your job. Exactly. That means we're doing our job. Yeah. And like yesterday, I got to tell you, it was it's such a ru- it was such a rough day on the line. And we have a, a new person on grill, and she really wasn't able to keep up. And then I had to have another guy come and help her, who he abandoned grill. He couldn't even do it. And and so we had two week links on grill while while I got two egg cooks trying to help it out. And we're getting out the food and, you know, it might be taking longer than my maximum of 20 minutes. We have one or two tables that were ran long. And here I am. I beat myself up over it. And I remember going to a restaurant recently for a burger, and I sat there for 40 minutes waiting for a burger when it wasn't even busy. So I say, here I am beating myself up. And no, thank God, nobody in the front knows what's going on. And that's really good because it is a battle to get that food out. Pretty, delicious, hot and timely, right? So, do you have a do you have an agreement with people when you hire them to say, "Hey, listen, this is going to be war in the in the back of the house." You got to understand that because you got a lot of sensitive people nowadays, as I've heard from many people who own restaurants, very sensitive workers. 
Um, do you have something in place that <laughs> you tell them to shut up about what goes on back here? Oh, no, no, no. I Oh, my God, and I'm sure people haven't shut up. But, uh, no, there's lots of people yakking about this, that, and the other thing. But I've grown over the years. I've changed a bit. I'm certainly not perfect, and I have my moments. I mean, yesterday, it was it was just such a zoo back there. Um, as I say, I warn people in the interview. I ask them, I say, listen, everything matters in this restaurant. Every French fry matters. Do you really want to work for someone who's going to make you possibly redo something because it isn't pretty enough? You know, do you under, can you deal with that? And so, I, as I said, I really spent a good part of the interview trying to convince people not to do it. I want to make sure they feel passionate about it, that they care about quality as much as me, and they'll do anything they can to make sure that the food flies fast, furious, and perfect as well. well they, and, and that's also true in the front of the house. I have had nothing but wonderful experiences with your, with your friend Jody. Oh, uh, right. And um, I wrote about it in that interview in About Face, but it really is important to me because when I first came to Portland and I stayed at the Fifth Avenue Suites, which is now the Monaco, right up the street from you, and asked the concierge where to go to breakfast, and I've told this story a few times, but I don't think I've told it here. Um, I was given three places, Jake's, Ruth's Chris, and Mother's. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know the Portland seen at all. I didn't even know there was a food thing going on here then. But I was smart enough to, maybe Jake, say, okay, they do seafood. Ruth's Chris, I'm buddies with the guy who owns the Ruth's Chris in Hartford. I don't need to go there to get a feel for Portland. Um, so I went to, I said, well, Mother sounds interesting, and went down there and um, just had this, I, I remember this marvelous, for dinner, uh, marvelous down-home uh, dinner, and I thought, this is really special. It is what you would expect from a place called Mother's. I'm, I can make this too long a story. Came back a few years. Uh, I love Portland. Came back, bought a house, came to Mother's to celebrate that, and uh, had my kids and heard the Blazers were in town. And um, Jody remembered me from before, and we started talking to him. And I said, you know, we just bought a house here. Uh, God, we'd love to go to the Blazers game. He comes back with a piece of paper and said, call this number and tell him I told you to call. I don't remember everything that happened, but we got tickets, great tickets to the Blazers that Wow. Night. Cut to about four years later. I, I had, when I moved to Portland, I came to Mother's quite a bit. I brought my family and friends there. But then I'm on a date with a woman, and we're like half the way around the block waiting to get in. And it was the first date, and um, we're standing there, and then all of a sudden, this guy, Jody, comes up and goes, Chris! Wow. Come with me. We, we're, we got you all. Come with me. And he walks us by and just says, just keep walking. He didn't want to. And she sits us down. And I mean, I looked really good. I looked, <laughs> <laughs> I looked great. I didn't, but I, I didn't ask for it. Right. That's the, that, and that comes from the top, right? That's the way you, that's what you do. And you can't do that for everybody online, but holy shit. He remembered and, me. And that is what we do. And when we have people that show up every Sunday religiously, they don't wait as long. I mean, so and, show up religiously. Well, yeah, and that's where you worship um, at Mother's Bistro. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's it, it's all about the love. It's all about the love. And my staff, we are. They've drunk my Kool Aid, and those people that have not drunk my Kool Aid, they don't last at Mother's. But again, this took me so many years to figure out. There's some people that walk in there and go, "Whoa!" 
this is not for me. I don't want to have to walk that fast, work that fast, think that fast. They don't know how to. They don't, And they don't last. And at least finally, over the years, we learn what makes. The first thing is, if I'm going to hire somebody for the front of the sta- house, you're going to have a smile on your face from the minute you enter that interview until the minute you end because That's- a smile is the most important thing. We had one staff member. We had a guy who was very competent as a server, but he never smiled on the floor. He, we actually, I actually had to give him three official warnings just for not smiling because that's half, that's half the battle. If you come into a place and people are smiling at you, that's half the battle. That shows. I'd probably get those warnings. I have one of those <laughs> naturally frowny faces where if I'm thinking, I'm just like, Ugh. well, your omelets suck. Well, I, so, right. I, it I, doesn't I, I'm matter. Front of house, back of house. I'm, I'm out of there. You don't want me. Well, but if you're in the back, I don't care if you smile or not. We're usually we're usually not very happy there. Yeah. But uh, the but the smile, you know, really, it's all about the love on the floor, and it goes way beyond just bringing you the food. It's anticipating what you might want, or you for the Blazers, they'll they'll pull out the roadmap. They'll show you where to go. I, it is what we do. It is it does it is from the top down because that's what I would do for my guests. Anything, anything. So, how many people have you had for? But as long as Jody, because that, that was 2000, my first visit there would have been 2004. I've had a lot of people with me last almost as long as my restaurant or people who will come who have worked for me and then have tried other places and then come back. So we have our general manager. I just made him a general manager, Brian Dasher. He started with me when he was 18 years old. He went to he took a break, went to the Heathman, worked a couple other places, came back. He's now 36. He's worked for me for almost half of his life. Mm. Jody, I have uh, somebody in my kitchen, Minor, has been with me since 2000. Um, Sierra, been with me on and off since. And, you know, Sierra went off. She went to try to get a job at El Gaucho. She worked there. They put her through such a ringer to... She never made any money. Everybody goes to El Gaucho thinking you're going to make money, but it's such a club to be able to get in and get the section and whatever. She finally gave up, and she came back to Mother's. Um there are uh, Jason Castrop, another one. We call him Little Bo. He's like the hippie of the of the restaurant, and he he just wows people with just how he does presentations and how he tells the menu. And you either love him or you hate him. You know, sometimes he might be too much, but those that love him really do. And he's also been with me since uh, 2000. So we have some people that have been with us super long, and then there are those that are short and sweet. Um, and then there are those that well, maybe a minute. not so sweet, short, short, not so sweet. Sure. Well, one of the things again, as I've learned over the years, I used to keep people longer than I should have, people who weren't the right fit, and then it was trying to put a square peg in a round hole, and it was awful for everyone. I was angry, they felt whatever, and it just wasn't. It wasn't I, mainly because I didn't realize I could fire people. I felt really bad. So it's like a mixed thing. On one hand, you love them to death. And on the other hand, well, that's but you don't fire them. But you don't do them a service by not doing that. Right. So finally, after all these years, I finally learned, hey, if it's not the right fit, we know this in four days. A week is really all we'll, we'll need to be able to ascertain whether you are in it or not, whether this is the right fit or not. And uh, we, we let it end there. So do you? Did at, at no point did you say I need to, I need to hire somebody else to do the firing to take this off of you because obviously it was hard for you from the heart to do that. So it's well, what happens is I end up developing relationships with my staff, the ones that are there from you know more than a week or two. Over the years, I would develop relationships with them. They were like my kids, and we'd party together and we'd hang together. 
And so you don't want to fire one of your kids. And then, but I, but then I realize it's just not healthy. And if somebody makes me angry, then it means they're not the right fit. You see, people who fit well, it's seamless. It's smooth. There's respect. There's mutual respect. But somebody, if you have to tell them the same thing over and over again 10 times, I used to just say, why do I have to tell you the same thing over again 10 times? No, now it's okay. I have to tell you the same thing over 10 times. Probably not the right fit for mothers. You know, we need somebody. We have to only say it twice. And then it's cut and dry. It doesn't get ugly. It's not angry. It's just not the right fit. Lisa, as you're saying this, I'm realizing that instead of paying a therapist, people might want to come and have a <laughs> breakfast with you. <laughs> Seminar with Lisa. Yeah. On life lessons, well, you know, at Burning Man, I have a booth. I have a Jewish mother booth. I sit there and people come to me for motherly advice. So I do do that. I just do it for one week a year. Why don't you do it at the rest? Have a, have a little time. At the, you don't have time. That's, That's what, there you have it. Because I'm in the kitchen cooking. <laughs> we tried to do, a, uh, and I still want to do it. All right. Uh, first breakfast uh, of the year at Mother's. Mike, people will kill me. I know. That's what you told me. But not <laughs> only that, you had uh, refinishing the floors going on yes. last time. So, um, But you have no, you, you. how can you fit extra stuff in other than what you're doing? I honestly you can't. really can't. And so, you know, I would used to be, uh, my song used to be, I'm just a girl who can't say no. And um, as I've learned over the years, sometimes saying no is saying yes to yourself. And now that there's even yes to the family, I have to say no to some things. And I can't do every charity event or every chef thing. I, I can't. I, I am really in the trenches. A lot of chefs, I don't know how they do it. They own multiple restaurants. They have everybody running the show. And they get to go to Spain and Italy. And, and me, I am here in the trenches. I got to learn their secrets I'll have to listen to your show more often and get tips on how they find people to run the show because I'm not there yet, even after 16 years. So, but my question is, do you really want that? Are you Clearly addicted? Not. Are you ad- <laughs> yeah, are you, because you could seek out, I'm not going to name names, yeah. but you could seek some chefs out that you, where you see that and say, how do you do that? And, and they would probably give you a pretty good answer, right? Because they're doing it. Well, for some, it's being able to let go. Restaurateurs, yes. For some, it's be is able to. They're able to let go. They're able to say, if it's not perfect, I'm okay with that. They're also. I don't. I don't know that they're okay. Most of the people I meet in this town aren't like that. We just did, for instance, a beautiful, beautiful dinner Saturday night at Peche with Jose Luis Ducasio, just one of the most passionate guys I know. He, you know, these these Latin. Latin chefs, Jose Chesa. Yeah. They're just, everything's from the heart. Right. So this was Saturday night, and everybody was blown away by how beautiful the food was, how delicious it was, how different it was, how everything was just a beautiful night. He's texting me this morning. I had some issues with this and that. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm, we didn't see it. We right. all just thought it was incredible. Right. But he's now in day two thinking. I, and he said, we need to do another event, but I'm going to do it better. Redo. I'm going to do Redo. it better. <laughs> right. But how cool is that? That yeah. he wants to... I, there's nothing I want than a guy like that to do another Portland Food Adventures dinner because I loved it and there weren't enough people there. I'd like to do a couple of seatings or whatever. But to have him write and say, I want to do it for a couple of re- he obviously has other reasons, but because I want to do it better, that is pretty I think, incredible. I think that does drive a lot of chefs. That's true. I mean, always wanting to be the best at what they do. And it's hard in this town because there are a lot of people who are pretty damn good at what they do, right? There's a lot going on, and it's changed a little bit. How do you see what's gone on 
in the last year or two. Um, you know, it's a, it's a different scene than it was 10 years ago when I first went to your restaurant. Um, you know, there, uh, when we talked three or four years ago, we were talking about how it's a little clicky. And I think you meant that in a little bit of a negative sense at the time. I view it as there's a lot of clicks and it's positive, but I'm starting to see where it can't be as clicky because everybody's busier and it's comp- more competitive than it was. Do you feel that? Um, I feel that the restaurant scene is changing because more and more people are coming here thanks to that half-hour commercial called Portlandia with some idea that they're, this is the land, Garden of Eden, where, you know, everything. They bought it. They bought it. They bought, they bought they the bought parody. It. They bought the. Yeah, and now people are coming here, opening up restaurants, not doing research, not looking at, you know, the rule is always location, location, location. And for many years, people thought they can open up a restaurant and bumfuck, not put a sign up, and people are just going to flock. And maybe that happened then. But now as more and more competition comes, they're going to have to really continue to bring their A-game, and it's going to be extremely competitive. But it's not only about the A-game. Look at Mousselet. Mousselet? Yeah. Opened the South Waterfront? Yeah. Months ago. He right. closed this weekend. Did you know oh, that? I did not know that. I heard that his food was incredible, and I didn't even get a chance to go there. I have a friend who kept saying, let's go, and that was a week and a half ago. We didn't get to go. But... Uh, that's tough if a couple of months you learn this is not the place to go. And it was about the location, which he cited in his Was that post. the uh, waterfront that had been Lucier before that? I don't know if that was the location. I don't know exactly okay. where it was. I, See, I remember our... just looking at a map and going south waterfront, and I said it, it's going to be a problem just in and of itself because no, no Loca- one wants to go there. Location, location, location. Yeah. It's a place where people live, not where they go. Right. And, um but there's so. What I'm saying is, there are a lot of elements that go into it now, that perhaps ten years ago someone could have gotten away with it because it wouldn't have been that expensive. I don't know about that particular spot, but now it's every element. It's kind of becoming like Seattle. I remember Ethan Stoll telling me he was kind of jealous of Portland because everybody gets to do, let their creative juices flow, and it's not there's not as much risk. That's changing. It's changing because you a you have competition. So now there's that many more restaurants to choose from. Quite frankly, I used to keep up on all the restaurant openings. Now I can't. You can't I, even. I, too many. And this is yeah. my business. Right. How could I not keep up? I literally cannot keep up. So if I, who am in the business, who reads everything about it, can't remember this one or that one, what about the layman? Um, so there's that. There's too many restaurants opening up. It's hard to keep up with what's open. Um, and number two, you it's extremely competitive, so you have to bring it. You can't just offer gnocchi on Thursdays. You can't just have this pastry on Tuesdays. You can't just sell one kind of gin. You have to be able, and that's, see, maybe that's one of the reasons why Mothers has thrived is because I want to I want to have everything anybody could possibly want here and ever forevermore. I don't just have regular drip coffee. I've got French presses, which you can offer, order by varietal and have it pressed to order, or you can have an espresso drink. or In a cup that says, call your mother. Which, <laughs> I got to promote moms. Yeah. You know, but even tea, I don't just have bag tea. I have loose leaf. I have fresh herb. So I really try to please all the people and I think that more and more restaurants have to remember they have to try to please as many people as possible or they're not going to get enough people in to stay in business. 
That's how it is in New York, right, Chris? I mean, every restaurant, you have beautiful flowers outside. They're power washing their sidewalk when you walk in. There's somebody polishing the brass. Then you have everything you could want on the menu. It's competition is stiff, and we have to all rise and bring it to be able to keep and get the clientele. And so you were doing that years ago, so you just need to keep doing what you were doing. And never get complacent. Ever get complacent. I will never... Get complacent, and that's why that's why you're not able to step away and take a vacation. True that. I think in your mind that that equates to complacency. Yes. One thing I do have to say, and I got to give credit. I mean, a my night shift has really come around, and I hired Rick Widmeyer, who was the uh, chef for uh, the screen. He used to work for me. Rick was my sous chef when I at Mother's Way ago. He went off, went on, went to work at. Uh, Clark Lewis, a few other places, and was the chef at Screen Door. He's the one that helped make the Screen Door get the reputation it has. And um, he eventually left there, went a couple other places, but I recruited him back, and now he's my PM sous chef. And so between him and the amazing crew I have, I am now able to step away at like 2 o'clock, go schlep my grandkids from this place to that place, tuck them in bed a couple nights a week, so I really do have to say, and I'm grateful for, for the night staff at Mother's, the dinner shift, because that has given me some uh, liberty to be able to step away a little bit in the afternoons and evenings. I hope you find more little bits and pieces where you can do this and do that. Me you too. have to. You will. I have to. So um, I don't know if everybody knows, but you started your breakfast thing at B- in Portland at B-Sauce. Yeah. Ha- have you been to B- the new B-Sauce? I have. And... and uh, I wanted to ask you what you think about that and what are some of your other, I don't know if that's one of your favorite places to go back, but um, some of the other places that you're hanging out. Um, well, uh, B-Sauce has changed. I think they changed a lot when they opened up their new place. I think they took, it seemed that they took the emphasis off breakfast and ma- made it more brunchy, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But I think um, I think they may be changing that back. I heard that they may be um uh, putting their breakfast, their breakfast items kind of took like a side note and was kind of in a little paragraph off to the side. And I thought that was one of their specialites. So I was a bit surprised that they went more brunchy, but um, everything I had there was delicious and good, just different. Um, I don't eat breakfast out much because most of the places that are open on my day off, there aren't many places open on my day off on a Monday. Monday. Um, but I do love, let's see, I loved what, Roost. A lot of people don't talk about Roost, but I mm-hmm. love Roost on Belmont. She was the former private chef for Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, what she does there, she makes the kind of food I make at Mother's, but I think she elevates comfort food a little bit. And uh, everything I've had at that restaurant is absolutely delicious. So um, that's one of my faves. I love Taqueria Nueve. I'm so glad they came back. I love their Mexican Caesar salad. I'll drive across town for their Caesar. Even though I can make it sort of like it, I, I just love theirs. So what's your favorite ethnic food? I would have to say Mexican is right up there. Um, my husband and I are, uh, really love Mexican food. We Another place we love is Tienda de Leon out in almost like a hundred and something street. I get takeout. Whenever I have a party, mm-hmm. I get food from her. Um, and you get great pans of amazing uh, chile verde and chile rellenos and um, uh, beef viria. She Just really great food. That's great if you're going to have a party and want like trays of stuff. I really love her. Chinese food is my favorite, and, you know, our, we're challenged here, but I do love uh, Shandong and um, Henry Liu. And uh, tried a Sichuan restaurant in St. John, uh, not St. John's, in John's Landing that was really good, Sichuan Chef. Yes, very good. I've been yes. there. Yes. And uh, 
It's and it's not always I, the times I've been there. It's been easy to get in. So it's and it's easy to park. I, exactly. Th- that's become one of my criteria, by the way. Oh, you're an e- Oregonian e- now. E- ease of dining. <laughs> it really has where I don't have to battle because I live in Southwest. Right. And so battling to get to Northeast. Not that I won't do it, but sometimes it's I'm dissuaded. From doing it. And uh, that wonderful Mayor Hales, what did he do about the parking situation on Division, huh? Yeah, everything. I now. mean, really. I mean, here they are developing all these restaurants, but not giving a people a place to be parked to, park. to be able to enjoy them. And I think that hurt, that's only going to hurt, well, it's hurt a few restaurants uh, on Division already that have closed. Um, but yes, ease of dining. <laughs> that's the, I hate that that's the criteria, but, you know, when I first learned the scene, it wasn't that wasn't even in the wasn't even on my radar. But, it re- I'd go but, now anywhere. but now you're becoming an Oregonian, so it's the traffic and the parking you're fetching about. But I do want to say that that refers back to location, location, location. Mm-hmm. When you're choosing a place for your restaurant, take a minute to take in the neighborhood. I mean, people. there was a time you could come and plop a restaurant anywhere and people would come here in this town. It's not the case anymore. And now the rents are getting high. Everything's becoming more expensive. Would you open Mother's where it is right now if you had the choice again? Yes. So that would be... Would that That's be, a great... Windows, corner, parking surrounded by parking. Near the hotels. Near the hotels. What percentage of your business are locals, do you know? And what percentage are uh, visitor or tourists, what call them, whatever you want to call them? I, I will tell you that, you know, a lot of restaurants... And you of, get the celebrities, by the way. We do. Either that or you're just good at social media and promoting it. Cool. But I, no. Who are some of the coolest... Cele- I'm sorry, I'm asking a question no. on top of a question. No, but please, start. Well, go, who uh, are some of the coolest celebrities to come into the restaurant? We serve Ron Howard, but he, we, as we said hello, as he's wearing his big ski jacket, he goes, we're on vacation now, so I'm not going to tweet about this. Um, we fed Harrison <laughs> Ford... Um, the guy from the Thornburns, Dr. Kildare, what was his name? I don't know. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins lead singer. Oh, you know, uh, Los Lobos all the time. Uh, Sasha Ruiz from Grimm and all the Grimm people. But uh, Sarah there, Bernhardt. There's someone bigger that I that I remember seeing in the last year that you're not mentioning, and I can't think of it. That cute one that it doesn't <sighs> have children that she Me? had to... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, doesn't have children. Oh, that, she was in Friends, fed her, showed her around. Jennifer Aniston? Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Oh, that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Just her. <laughs> Did you have her up on, on the radio show? Did you ever get... No, no, I, I don't wonder, get I Jennifer Aniston. I bet you get a lot of no, those but, people. But we do. When, you know, when we have bands come through and they stop by Kink, we, we often ask them, you know, you know, what are you doing here in Portland? And Mothers is always on the list. In fact, the, one of the reoccurring stories... Is from because the like the regular musicians know to go to mothers, but a lot of the the new people don't, and so they'll they'll like I'm gonna sleep in tomorrow, and everybody goes off to breakfast, and then they start hearing about it, and they're like, what did I just miss out on? It's like <laughs> you missed out on Portland is what you missed out on. Well, I will reveal to you one of my secrets, and this is really a real secret now. Good, this is gonna end the podcast, so this is a big secret. Well, I comp the meals of artists traveling to town, so if a band comes in. And they eat at Mother's, I will buy their meal. Because, what's the, what's and the, the, the reason is, is I appreciate their art and I feel what they bring to this world. And I give them my gift of the food because I appreciate what they do and, by, and I treat them to a meal. And so that's a beautiful thing. Yes, and I it think is. It's not, and it gives you pleasure. You, Mom, you get to do what you want to do in your own kitchen, your own in your own restaurant. So. And, that's, and that's why. It's, so it's not social media, it's heart to heart, mano a mano. I'm going to take care of you, and hopefully you'll spread the word. And that's, and that's how I roll.
I think. And how do you how do you draw the line? What if there's a band that thinks they're worthy of that? I still and, do it because well, it's but, the struggling bands that need it more than anybody. It's those poor guys that eat at Applebee's on the road. Those are the ones I'm happy to take care of. Those guys that are traveling in their mother's van from coast to coast. Oh, we don't care if they're big names or not. We take care of any musician. If they tell us they're in a band and they're, we take care of them. So bring your guitar. <laughs> there we go. It's like down to Mother's. It's it's not the it's not the Skype Lounge. Yeah. I think, go down to Mother's. Um, Lisa, I I love you. I can't tell you how honored Court both of us are. Court and I are to have you here, and I just think it was. I hope you don't feel or anybody feels um, badly about. My crying, yeah. it's okay. No, not that, but I just don't, I didn't want to feel exploita- exploitative um, at all. And, um, you know, I think it's, I've always wanted to have you on the podcast, and the fact that you did it now, I can't, uh, can't thank you enough. And uh, always a pleasure to find any way to spend 10 minutes with you, five minutes. Even uh, if we have to book it a month in advance. Even if we, so I've <laughs> said this before, if we have to have, have you on the podcast again just to spend more time with you. We'll do that, but let's find another way. And you okay. know, come visit in Manzanita if you can get away. Oh, You'll your pictures of you and your dog! I am jealous. I look at them and I just live vicariously through your ocean pictures. Believe me, thanks for those. Well, you're invite. You can come out and experience it live and meet Oakley live too. Okay. So. But thanks for meeting us live today. Thank you mm-hmm. too. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. Portland's original food and drink news and review blog brought to you by the legendary food dude now featuring the huge outdoor dining list you'll need to eat drink and enjoy the Portland summer sunshine and fresh air check it out today at portlandfoodanddrink.com right at the fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson intro music by Ariel Varinas find links to her music in the show notes section Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>